2 Corinthians chapter number 5 this, this evening. I'll just take a few moments and challenge us on the thought of, of winning people to Christ. Uh, helping the lost find the Lord. We have been, uh, our theme this year has been committed. And in September we've been committed to the Word of God. We had a, a message on the Bible from Brother Chapman. I've preached a couple times on the Word of God. We're turning the page this week and October the 2nd is our gospel explosion. And throughout the month of October we're talking about sharing the gospel of Christ. If we do not win people to Christ, we are disobedient to the Lord. We need to get the gospel out. Now, I can't win anybody, but I can, I can get the gospel out. The power is not in me. It's not in you. And listen, friend, don't ever say, well, I'm just not good at that. If you're not good at it, you can just keep doing it. And you'll find fruitfulness will come in the pathway of faithfulness. And everyone who is saved has a responsibility and has been given the ministry of reconciliation. You can't shirk it. Now, I grant it. Some folks are just natural salesmen. <laughs> They're just natural at meeting people. And some of us, we have difficulties with that. It does not excuse those who it may be easier to strum up a conversation and people who don't. Everybody can do something for the Lord. I'll, I'll never forget a particular story of about a deaf man who could not read. He could not write. He wasn't even communicating. It, it was in a rural area. But uh, someone loved him enough and they taught him sign language and then taught him the gospel. He would come and stand outside of a church building. He was deaf, mute, did not, uh, did not uh, mix well with the people. He was a hardworking guy. They would get him. He'd work coveralls in the community. And if someone wanted a hard job, they would get him and work him all day and pay him but couldn't communicate have to show him what to do and and kind of play charades with him but someone loved him enough and began telling him the gospel of Christ he got saved and when he got saved he was that he was the only deaf person in his community and didn't have other deaf people to communicate with but he got a burden to get the gospel to people and what he did was very unusual he went out beside a highway and he buried a cross on the side of the hill of the highway. And every week, he would get a pack of tracks. And he would go down there and he would stand beside the highway and wave at people until he knew that they got, he got their attention. And then he would point them to the cross. He would wave and then he would point them to the cross. Hoping they would pull over and he would run down there and give them a track. Amen. You know, if a man who is deaf... Without the knowledge of sign language necessarily, can figure that out. Well, we don't have an excuse, in my opinion. We've got hands at work. We've got ears at work, mouths at work. We have opportunities to be able to talk to folks. We need a burden. We need a, re we need a renewed burden for getting the gospel out. You pray for me, and I'm going to pray for you. Because I don't think we can excuse ourselves and say, well, that's just something I'm glad our church does. It ought to be something you do. <laughs> and I do. And I think a, a, a passion for it will be birthed out of prayer. Uh, Self-reliance robs us of two things that we need desperately. And if you're just dependent upon yourself, you're going you're to rob yourself of two necessities of Christian life. And that is faith and prayer. God does not want us to be independent of Him. He wants to be reliant upon Him. That's a part of faith and it's a part of prayer. Prayer are those things we need to fight our self-reliance, thinking we're self-made and we can do things on our own terms. I don't believe it's true. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Apostle Paul enter, enters into the chapter talking about... Uh, that we have an earthly tabernacle. That means your body's not made to live forever. 
you are going to live forever, but your body, this body is a temporary, tab- it's a tent. Tabernacle means tent. He said, but one day you're going to be clothed for as a child of God, a Christian, with a body that's eternal in nature. And that's where he also says at the end, or in the middle of that chapter, that to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. When someone dies, God says, hello, and I'm, it's precious to me. Uh, for you and I, we have to figure it out and have to grieve through the process. I called several folks who've recently lost their loved ones and prayed with them today because everything that they see and hear reminds them of their loved one. And in the early stages of losing a loved one, you, you can't pick your grieving points. You know, just God has made it where he kind of squeezes your heart out of your eyeballs at times where you, it's uncontrollable. Uh, you can't pick those times. And that's okay. It's God's way of helping us grieve through those situations. But the truth of the matter is, God's not grieving. <laughs> if that person is saved, he is as happy and says it's precious is the death of his saints. He's good. We have to kind of figure out and miss him and, and work through it. And we can sorrow, but we don't have to sorrow as those who have no hope. So he kind of shares that with them. But let's pick up at verse number 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 8. For we are confident, I say, willing rather to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. We just mentioned that. Verse number 9. Wherefore, having this information... When you see the word wherefore, you kind of figure out what's there for. He said, this is the reason that we labor. That whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. This gives us one of the first motivations to serve God faithfully and labor in the field of soul winning. Number one is because God likes it. And it makes it, it, it cause to be accepted. It's the same reason why you ought to be separated from the world. When you have that verse of scripture that says, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing, and I will what? I'll receive you. And I'll be a father to you, my sons and daughters. And you'll, you'll be, and they we're accepted because of salvation. However, uh, it is important that we learn that separation and soul winning, it gratifies God. And it's like, I accept all my children. I, I love them all, all nine of them. But whenever they're misbehaving or not functioning in a way that would be honoring to the Wilkerson name or to their mom and dad, I love them. But we got issues. And I'm not happy. And there are some things that I'm going to try to figure out how to get them on the right track. And I, I accept them in, in our relationship. I'm their father. They're my, they're my child. But I don't accept them in their fellowship. Because they're living in darkness. They're doing that. And God tells us, one of the reasons we labor and serve the Lord is because we want to be accepted of Him. Look at the next verse, would you please? Verse number 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Another reason we ought to be interested in getting the gospel to unsaved people is because there is a judgment seat of Christ. That every one of them may receive the things done in his body according to what he hath done, and, and whether it be good or bad. See, you have a little parenthesis called life. While you're still in your body, I think we ought to do our giving while we're living so we're knowing where it's going. I think we ought to do our soul winning. There is no soul winning in heaven. <laughs> okay? There will not be a gospel explosion on Saturday in heaven. There's no need for it. Everyone there has already accepted the gospel. This is our time. This is our opportunity. And the judgment seat of Christ, just a reminder, the judgment seat of Christ is for Christians. And that is for people who have had their sins forgiven. They've gone into eternity with the gift of God's Son. They're going to judge the Christ. Sin is not going to be a criteria there. We're not being punished for our works. We can lose reward there. I believe that to be the case. But we're, we're rewarded for our works and for our love. 
at the judgment seat of Christ. The other judgment is the great white throne judgment that is for uh, unsaved people. It's a, it is about, a, I, I, if, I, if I do my math right, it's about a thousand years apart from the two judgments. This one over here is done after the rapture and before the millennium. This one is done after the millennium. And there, those who, who the Bible talks about um, the, um, the, uh, the, the death and hell shall be cast in the lake of fire. There'll be the second death. There is a, a great white throne judgment there. That's for, the say, that's for the unsaved. That's for people. And that's the reason why you go soul winning. Because you don't want people to go there. <laughs> you don't have to be in that judgment. No one in the world has to be in that judgment. Everybody that goes in that judgment has already been forgiven. He said, now, what should motivate us to serve the Lord? Well, first of all, uh, to be accepted to him. So we're pleasing the Father. Here is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. God wants us to be fruitful Christians. He's glorified. He's pleased. Jesus said in John 8, verse 29, I do all those things that please him. If it pleases the Father, that's what I want to do. I want to be accepted of him. Number two, uh, the judgment seat of Christ. Look at the next verse, if you would, please. Verse number um, 11. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And we are manifesting to God, and I trust also are manifesting your consciences. He says, look, we, uh, we heard something about a hell. <laughs> I heard something about judgment. It's terror. It's, it's, terror. it's terrorizing. There's a, there's a tower of terror at, at, uh, at uh, Hollywood Studios. It has nothing compared to the terror that God can unleash upon someone who has not heard or not accepted the gospel of Christ. He said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Why do you keep going back over? Why do you keep praying? Why do you keep looking for opportunities to witness to your neighbor, your friends, your classmates, your, work, your workmate? Why? Because you know there's a hell. We know the terror of the Lord. Look at the next statement, if we can, please. Verse number 12. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, and give occasion to glory in your behalf. But we have somewhat to answer them, at glory in appearance, and not in heart. For whether we be besides ourselves, it is to God. And whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, if one died for all, then we are all dead. And he says, what really motivates? What's the pristine attribute of motivation? It's love. He said, the love of Christ, it constrains me. How much love God loves me. I spoke about this today in the teachers meeting. I want to thank God for all of our Sunday school workers. I want to encourage all of you to be at the 630 teachers meeting on Wednesday night. It's part of the team's huddle. I want to encourage you to be there if you can. But the thought I, I shared in that, that thing, no one will ever experience the greatness of God in their life until they're totally convinced of the goodness of God in their life. When you realize how much God loves you and how much, uh, how much he loves you and how good he is, you will do greater exploits with him. You'll trust him when you know how good he is. He said, look, the love of Christ, it really constrains me. If he would die for me, then I should live for him and I should tell others about it. Let's continue with a couple more thoughts and then I'll, I'll share, you some, share some things I want to be helpful to you about practically if we can. Look if you would please verse 15. And that he died for all that they should live, not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto them, unto him that died for them and rose again. So that when people get saved, they should live for the Lord and so should I. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. So he's not here on the planet with us. So he is not going to go out and bring people to himself. There, is, there are thoughts that I would have if I gave God advice. I'm not in the process of doing that. But I would say, man, please don't give that job to me. I have done a lousy job for 54 years telling people about Jesus. 
But, he says, look, I am giving this information in earthen vessels. Jesus is not coming back to win the world to himself. Now, if I were Jesus, I'd probably get a loudspeaker and say, turn or burn. <laughs> uh, tell, tell them, come to me, accept me. But that's not God's method. God's method is people who've gotten saved to tell somebody else. A satisfied customer tells another person. One beggar who found food tells another beggar where he found food. That's God's way. He said he's not going to come back. He said, We've kn- I've known him in the flesh, Paul said. I've seen him, I think probably in those times in Arabia, and maybe even saw him in his lifetime before he crucified. He was crucified. But he said, I've seen him in the flesh. He do- he's not here anymore. So look if you would please the next thing, if you would please, verse 17. Therefore, because of that, if any man be in Christ, so if Christ is real to them and they've gotten saved, he is a new what? Creature, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now there's, if someone's saved, there's a new life. And part of that life is not just getting rid of bad music or, or questionable dress or entertainment. Although that includes in that. But I want you to know, he said, all things become new. Look at verse 18, would you please? And I want you to notice what it says. That what's the second and third word there? And all things are of who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of what? So if we're a new creature, one of the things God wants us to do is to get involved with the all things. And the all things is now he's given us a ministry to reconcile others to Jesus. We're, we're saved to win others to Christ. It's one of our purposes for still living here after we're saved. Is to bring glory to God and good to others. Look at the next verse, would you please? Verse number 19. To the wit, which God was in Christ, reconciled the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them that have committed to us the word of reconciliation. So God reconciles us through his son Jesus Christ, and he can forgive their sins. And now he's given us the word to tell people that your sins can be forgiven. Verse 20, read it out loud with me, would you please? Now then, we are... We pray you, in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. And then verse 21, what a great verse, a classic verse. For he, God the Father, hath made him, God the Son, Jesus, to be sin for us. Who, Jesus, knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The truth of the matter is, the greatest need for every one of us before we were saved was righteousness. We couldn't get it ourselves. And uh, the one who can give us righteousness is Jesus. And the church can't give you righteousness. Baptism can't give you righteousness. Only Jesus can. And um, he is our righteousness. He is our peace. The Bible says in, in 1 John chapter 2, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. But if any men sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the righteous one. And righteousness is available through the person of Jesus Christ. I think that's one of the reasons why in Romans chapter 10, verse number 10, for with the heart man believeth unto, I think you can almost put Jesus right there where it says righteousness. With the heart, a person believes that only Jesus and his righteousness can save them. And then with the confession is made into salvation. With those thoughts in mind, just a a challenge, I want to remind you of a couple things about why we should win the loss. Number one, we should win the loss because we know that God loves them. God loves them and it's his plan. It's his purpose. It's his gospel. It's his son. It's his command. It's his commission. And you belong to him too, so he wants to use you and wants to use me to get the gospel out. It's his great love for the world, not my love for the world. 
Uh, whenever a missionary says, I just love the people of whatever it is. That's good. But the truth of the matter is, you know why they should love the people? Because God loved them first. Okay? Because everybody out there is not real lovable. Okay? And, but God loves them. He cares about them. Look, if the next thought is that know that when you go soul winning, God is working. He's already proactively working. He was working in, in Saul's life. Uh, whenever he was on the road to Damascus, even while, while Stephen was being stoned, God was dealing with Saul. He is proactive in regards to that. We see that in the Bible, he was working in Nathaniel. He said, when I saw you under the tree, I knew you there. And he goes, I know now you are the Messiah. Because in that, that little situation, no one else would know but you. God is proactive in working with people. Cornelius, we'll read about that in Acts chapter 10 later this month. Cornelius, uh, he's a, a, a devout man. He was giving of his alms. He feared God, just didn't know who the right God was. And he was a Gentile. And uh, God was working in him, was working in Peter miles away. And uh, God put the two together because God is always for working. When you go on Saturday, when you go any day to share the gospel, you're never doing it alone. God's on the other side of that gospel track. He's on the other side of that situation. Pray for the salvation of souls. The Bible tells us in First Peter, excuse me, First Timothy chapter two, that we should pray for all men that they would come to the knowledge of the truth. And I want to encourage you. I did, tonight I added two names to my prayer uh, prayer page for people I'm praying to be saved, and I'm asking the Lord to save them. And, and I know that when I see them next. I'm going, to be able to, I'm going to be able to know, okay, I've been praying for them. I've learned their names. I'm asking God to help them. And I think it's very important that you um, get a prayer list. Pray for the lost. It'll make you more sensitive for sure. I, prom- I, I doubt if people are real faithful soul winners who are not praying for the lost first. And uh, you college young people and anybody that's, that's going to go soul winning, take some time to pray for the lost. Pray for your neighbors. Learn your neighbor's name. Uh, the people that live in the, the work in the cubicles around you, pray for them. People that, people that you're working at their home, be, learn their name. Pray for them. You're going to find that God's going to make you much more sensitive to their spiritual condition by virtue of that. Ask God for a burden for the lost. In, uh, in Matthew chapter 6, John chapter 6, or Matthew 9, John chapter 6, God tells us several things about Jesus. He says, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with Cashin. And this is one thing that is positive about going out. One of the ways you get a burden is by getting into the area. You, don't, you get a burden by going. You can't spell the gospel without go. And you can, you can still pray. You can still get passionate about souls. But I'm telling you, when you get out in the weeds with people, then the burden begins to become much more intense. And he asked God, say, God, please burden my heart for souls. Don't let me be a, a person that's good at excuses. Help me be someone who can be used of you. It's not about your personality. It's, not about, it's about God using you. And he wants to do it. You need to believe that. And if he can use a deaf man to point to a cross and run and give a gospel track, he can use me and he can use you to get the gospel to people. Another thought real quickly is be impartial. In your pursuit to win souls. All of us have a, a measure of prejudice and bias in our mind. We profile people. Is that someone I want to talk to? Or no? And the Bible tells us one thing about God that we know for sure. He is not a respecter of. It's one thing he's not. 
James chapter 2, verses 1 through 9 would be a good thing for us to read tonight. But he says, my brethren, when it comes to the Lord of glory. By the way, if you'll put God in his rightful place, you'll see others in a much more equitable way. And that's our problem. We oftentimes, when some of us were raised that way, some of us we develop a bias because we've been hurt or we've seen something or something didn't go right or, or we've got, and it's all a measure of pride. Okay, not a one of us chose how we are, where we were born, who our parents was, what skin pigment we have. All of that was given to us by God. So to think that I'm better than someone else or I, wanna, I don't want to witness that person, it is, at the base, it is sin and it's wrong. Okay? And we need to be unbiased and we need to be careful about that. Be impartial to your pursuit. Every, you can't take the gospel to the wrong address. Okay? You can't take it to the wrong person. And uh, I think sometimes I, I have done this uh, in, in embarrassingly so on in, uh, in some occasions. And then sometimes you only have so many tracks. I've got 10 tracks. I've got 20 tracks that I've been, I picked up at the table here. And I've got places I'm going to go and I'm praying about it. But the truth of the matter is if I just have 20 tracks, I've I got to be a little selective. I can't give it to every little kid that I see. Necessarily. So I'm, I'm asking, Lord, who can, I, who can I give it to? I remember one time, and I think I might have shared this story with you, but I was walking down uh, Pine Avenue and uh, uh, in Long Beach, California. Linda had dropped me off at the convention center. I was supposed to pray for this large convention. I was kind of excited about it. I, it was large. I prayed for it. The guy that invited me to pray was an atheist. <laughs> so I'm thinking, why did you want me to pray? That's a formality. I have no interest in you. I tried to witness to him. He had no interest. I thought, well, that was a waste. You know, and, but I had Linda dropped me off and I was walking down to the, down the church and I only had like 10 tracks in my pocket and have a whole bunch of them. So I was a little selective in giving people tracks. And I, I saw a guy sitting at, a, at a, a flower planter smoking a cigarette and he was looking at the very track I was getting ready to give him. So he's there smoking a cigarette, sitting there, look, leaning over, sitting on a flower planter, looking at his track. And I got ready to give it to him. And I said, hey, you already have one of those. Who gave it to you? I said, oh, this morning I got, a, I got a Dr. Pepper and a bag of Cheetos out of the store. And this guy just said, if you love, if, if you know how much God loves you, you want to read this track. I said, yeah, yeah, God loves me. I put it in my pocket. I'm over here at the Internet Cafe and smoking a cigarette. I, oh, I sort of needed a smoke, so I wanted to get out some clean air. So I went outside and um, get some, get a smoke. And I'm just sitting there. I thought, well, I'll read that little track. He goes, you know, mister, I have read this four times. You think, I don't understand. You think I went down there tomorrow and found this church. They could tell me a little bit about this track. I said, yeah, they could explain it to you. I could probably explain it to you right now. I said, really? Well, sit down here. And I sat down beside Felix Rios, and I gave him the gospel of Christ, took out my New Testament, shared the gospel with him. And at the end, he goes, man, that's the best deal i got going. I need to do that. And I said, well, you going to get saved? He said, yes, I do. He got saved right there. He looked on the track, and it was my picture. He goes, hey, that's you. I said, yeah, that's me. <laughs> He said, wow, man, God must love me a lot. He sent the pastor over here to explain it to me. That next Sunday night, he got baptized, and uh, he's with the Lord now. He passed away. He used to work for United, or excuse me, American Airlines. And, and uh, uh, just uh, for the first year, when we moved away from, to here from, from Long Beach. Every week, he went out and uh, washed off the, the gravesite for Tyler and clipped all the uh, things. He did it every week. He'd send me a little picture. He said, I'm taking care of this for you. And he's passed away now. He's not doing that anymore. But uh, so glad that somebody gave him a track. Somebody approached him. And you never know exactly who to do it, but God's working. 
And he'll work in your heart and life. Look at the next thing real quickly. Learn people's burdens and seek to help them tangibly. Can you just take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 10? Acts chapter 10, if you would, please. I want you to see this. This is Peter talking to um, Cornelius and his group of people there. But look at Acts chapter 10 and verse number 37. The Bible tells us this, the word I say, ye know, which ye published throughout all Judea and began at, at, um, at Galilee after the baptism which John preached. And um, he, is, he, he has already led, led um, this guy. Look at verse number 38. I want you to read it out loud with me. Verse 38, 10, 38 of Acts. Are you ready? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost with power. He said he went about doing what? Good. You know, the truth of the matter is, uh, one of the things that you can help, if you, if you get the book from Brother Martin, uh, Brother Rick Martin wrote a book on how to start a church in the mission field. One of his chapters is how to reach adults with the gospel. And if I'm not mistaken, either his first or second point, the best way to reach an adult, in his opinion, was to find out their greatest need and try to help them with it. You may not know their greatest need. If you can find out what's their greatest need and attempt to help them, you will be used of God to be able to help them more. Because people who don't trust you probably won't trust what you tell them. But if they know that you genuinely care for them, in his opinion, you have an opportunity to start talking to them more about a spiritual matter. I think it's an interesting thing. But you know, Jesus gathered people to himself by what he could do for them. He went about doing good. You and I will do the same thing. To try to be a good Christian, a good person, a good, a, a kind person, a generous person. The Bible says, make to your friends, make to yourselves friends of the unrighteous mammon. So that when you fail or you die one day, they'll receive you into everlasting habitation. Remember years ago, I was, my, Linda and I, we had a friend of ours. And he is, um, he, he was married to a lady named Joanne. And Joanne was saved, but he was not saved. And for nine years, I went, through the, I, I went through the gospel three times with him. It was very negative each time, and to the point that he left, he left my home with his wife in a huff. Another time, he closed my Bible and said, if you ever do that to me again, um, don't, or he just said, don't ever do this to me again. And then another time, he said, if, my, if that's true, my mother's going to hell. But I, I remember being burdened for him, and his wife was burdened for him. Linda and I prayed for him. One day, Linda said to me, she said, John... He said, this, this fella, he needs, seven, he's, a, he's, a, he's a good worker. He works for the, he's a union worker, but he wasn't working for a while. He's one of the best rebar people in, in Southern California. Great, very good, very fast. His hands are like, like a baseball glove. They're just rough and very, very, very skilled. But uh, he wasn't working. He didn't, couldn't get work. And uh, Linda said, you know, Joanne told me that he need, they need $700 to pay their rent. And he could make $700 in a day and a half. It was just, it was nothing, but he couldn't get a job. And he said, he said, they can't, he can't find, he can't find the money. And uh, he's asking everybody and no one's going to do it. And, and uh, she said, John, we have $1,100 in our savings. Why don't we just give him that $700? let us give it to them. I said, I'm, I'm all over it. Let's do it. So I went down and got the $700 cash. I, we called him. I remember him pulling up in his Hummer in my front yard. And he said, man, of all people, you have to be the one to give this to me. He said, he said, but I got to take it, man, because I need it. I'm, I'm, I've never been like this. This is terrible. And I gave it to him. I said, look, you don't owe it. You don't owe it back. 
if I never give it back, we're good. I want to be a blessing to you. We care about you. We love you. It's not a loan. It's a gift. You're, you're going to do that. He ended up giving it back to me about six months later. But uh, I said, it's, it's, we, we love you. You're important to me. He goes, Man, I, just, I don't understand how this has happened like this. And he got back in his armor and drove off. And then about, about eight months later, uh, he was watching a, uh, one of our television broadcasts that were viewed on Saturday night. Uh, it was from our church downtown. And I, every night I, I went ahead and gave the gospel of Christ again at the end of the broadcast. And uh, I saw him and he said, hey, you know, at the end of your broadcast, you do the same thing you've done to me three times. I said, yeah. I said, that's exactly what I do. He goes, yeah. Well, Saturday night I got saved. <laughs> In my living room, I knelt down and asked Jesus to save me. I said, that is great. He said, have you know why I got saved? $700. <laughs> he said, it wasn't your message. It wasn't the church. It wasn't really Joanne. She's been so patient with me. But it was $700. I couldn't get anybody to give me. Said, All my soccer buddies wouldn't give me $700. All the guys at the bar, they wouldn't give me money. My family wouldn't give me money. It had to be the you to give me money. He said, but I got saved because of 700 bucks. You know what the Bible taught me on that situation? Is sometimes it's just going about doing good. Gives you opportunities for influence. And may, I, didn't, I wasn't the one who personally got to see him get saved. But, but I'm glad he got saved. And he says he got saved because of $700 that uh, my wife suggested we give him. And I just, I, I think about that. There are people in your influence that you can help. And it may cost you a little bit now, but it could be an eternally significant thing in years to come if we'll be faithful about that. So go about doing good. Then another thought I want to give to you is be patient and prayerful for the hard cases. You know, there's two things that Bible talks about in two different places in the, in the Testament. But one, he, one, a fella that the disciples tried to help him. And he says, my son is a lunatic. And the lunatic comes from lunar, which means the moon, means moonstruck. Something's wrong with this. If you ever have policemen and firemen, they don't like to really always work. And ER nurses don't like to always work on a full moon because it just gets people a little goofy. But he said, my son's moonstruck. And he's a lunatic. He's struggling. And, you know, and, and he represents a person that needs a miracle. Or, he said, he said later on in that very same passage in Matthew, he talks about uh, a mountain. It represents a problem that needs to be moved or a person that needs a miracle. How many know someone who's a person that needs a miracle? If they get saved, it'll be a miracle. Okay? It represents a person that needs a miracle or a problem that needs to be solved. And you know the Bible says this time, this kind cometh forth not but by. Sometimes the hard cases need a lot more prayer. They need a lot more pray, they need a lot more, a lot more patience and, and fasting for God to do a work of grace in the lives of people. And, but don't be, it, you know, I imagine Saul was a hard case. What do you think? But what a great servant of Christ he became. Some of the folks that took the longest to develop, I find oftentimes, oftentimes become some of the greatest witnesses for the Lord. Don't be afraid about the hard cases. Be patient for them. And then the last thought is preach the gospel. Remember, have great confidence in the gospel. I'm going to start a verse. I hope you can finish it for me. I am not ashamed of the... For it is power of God. And to salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Have confidence in the gospel. 
It's a gospel explosion. Have confidence that if I get a chance, I'm going to ask someone, talk to them long enough that they can share the gospel with someone. Uh, I thought it was a blessing. Uh, and, and we've got a friend here that uh, is such a blessing. Brandon uh, was here last Wednesday night. I shared someone to be saved. And if I'm not mistaken, you had the chance to help someone on the side of the road. And then you thought, well, maybe I can tell them what I learned on, on about what the gospel is. And he went through the track, showed them how to be saved, and a family got saved on the side of the road. They're supposed to come on Sunday, Lord willing. He's going to try to bring them on Sunday. You know, you just never know who you're going to use. But I'm telling you, the power is not in you. It's not in me. It's in the gospel.